Welcome to our podcast, What I Didn't Learn at Harvard, where super connectors who will be talking about how to network smartly in a post-pandemic world. I'm your host and moderator, Rajiv Jadav. I'm a reputation management strategist and social impact activist. My co-host is Victor Lee. He's our Harvard alum, and he will be guiding us through all the things he's learned about networking since he graduated. In the episodes that follow, you'll be hearing from experts who do networking well. Welcome to another exciting episode of Things I Didn't Learn at Harvard. Today, we're joined by truly a very special guest. She is my dear friend, my business partner, my partner in crime for many, many years, many moons. Uh, It gives me great pleasure to introduce you the $1 billion, the $1 billion product launch wizard, Lynn Donaldson. Lynn, welcome to the show. Thank you, Rajiv. Nice to see you again. Nice to see you, Victor. Thanks, Lynn. Great to have you here. Uh, I'm going to read out. uh, Lynn is going to introduce herself momentarily in her own words, but uh, just to help the listeners and also to to establish some context, uh, this is what Lynn's LinkedIn headline reads as, launch team strategist and resilience consultants, uh, consultant, our mission is simple, people first, people always. Wow, that's uh, short and succinct. And I think the, the, one of the things that I mentioned in my initial statement of you, Lynn, is you know, I, I'm calling you the $1 billion, the $1 billion product launch wizard. So maybe just to start the conversation, maybe you could explain to our audience the one, point, the, the one billion thing. Okay, thank you, Rajiv. So the $1 billion comes from a launch we helped a company to effect, uh, a big pharmaceutical company. There was two products launching at the same time. One of the products was supposed to be the Blockbuster. And then the product we were working with was a very good product. It was first in class, so it had a different mechanism of action. And we helped them to achieve $1.3 billion dollars more at launch than the other product that was supposed to be the blockbuster product. Good for you, Lynn. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> That's great. So uh, Lynn, uh, now obviously there's like many things that goes into achieving that staggering number. That's kind of like beyond the stratosphere almost, you know? So I guess a couple of questions is, uh, first I want to like dive more into that as to how you did it, but also to take a step back as to how did you end up working with that client? And, you know, uh, like a lot of these conversations that we're having here are, is with subject matter experts that excel at relationships and people skills and communication, networking. Uh, it's all an amalgam of, of one thing, right? So if you could, I know I'm hitting you with a lot, but essentially I'm asking you two things. One is how did you do it? And the second is, how did you end up uh, working with this client? So first of all, our company is built on a framework with three pillars, people, 
product and process. The people part is very important. As, as I said, people first, people always. I always look to see how we can help our clients, not from a point of view of what money can we make. It's more, how do they need help? What can we help them with now? And then the product is obviously the product launch, affecting that product launch. And then the process is, as you know, Rajiv, is Lily Launch Tools, which is the tool we're developing together to help ease them through the launch process. So stepping back to how we got to work with that particular client, I had worked with this particular company for a number of years, and I knew this client very well. We'd worked with her before, and she was transitioning over from a more clinical role into more medical affairs role. And we had worked with the medical affairs team on the process of product launch, how to do it. We developed an operating guide. And so when I was talking to the client as she was moving over, I actually saw something in her and I asked her if she was okay, whether she, you know, she was comfortable making the change. She was transitioning from a clinical role, as I said, to a medical affairs role where she was going to be responsible for launching this valuable product. And she'd never done it before really smart lady but had never done that part before she was a dermatologist she'd never done that part before so I said I asked her if she would be open to some assistance and to some help from us she knew we'd worked on the process and so we talked through how we might be able to help her and one of my consultants went in and helped her set up the team then develop the strategy and then implement that strategy, which is with a winning strategy, $1.3 billion more than the other product. <laughs> Lynn, that's great. I think, especially in the pharma industry, I think, you know, those of us who are civilians, right, tend to think of it as being sort of bloodless, right? It's all clinical. It's, you know, it's science. It's, you know, chemistry of the drug. It's the biology of the human body. It's the process of people running around, you know, to the extent there's people, they're running around in white coats. So they're not exactly they're not exactly normal people, but it's interesting. So you kind of flipped the formula on its head and identified people as being the core to success. Absolutely, absolutely. Because I've been in the industry the whole of my working life. I started in the labs with the white coat. Um, I've worked with cell cultures and etc. You know, and so and I've been through a lot of the process. The the people we deal with, all people in the pharmaceutical industry especially in the mid-sized pharma, really believe in doing what's right for the patient. It's about how can we make this easier for the patient? How can we make it better? So in this instance, one of the drugs we worked on, we've worked on is the patient, literally their skin sloughs off in the morning. Yowch. And they leave it behind in their bed. That is very debilitating and very painful. Now, can you imagine that as a person and not being able to work properly or interact properly? And so the product that we worked with the company on stopped that. Now, to me, that's a win situation. And those people worked tirelessly to get that product to the patient so that that patient can get up in the morning like everybody else and just go about their normal business without pain and without having their skin left behind. Um, And so they're not bloodless. They, on the whole, they... uh, really care about their patients. That's very interesting, because that's the other thing I have to confess, I'd sort of forgotten, right? The, the outcome is, the, the intended outcome is not the drug, right? It's the patient, yeah. and the patient is a person. Yes. Right? So yeah, I think keeping that in mind, I think it's very important, keeping that in mind probably helps motivate everybody on the team, right? We're not trying to get that little red thing. It's more how can you, know, how can you improve somebody's life? 
Exactly. And we've worked in oncology a lot. And that really is about improving somebody's quality of life. And, you know, without some of these products, breast cancer wouldn't be the best treated cancer around. There are many innovations all the time, and it's aimed at helping those patients in need. My father had three lots of cancer. Wow. Okay. He had a hat trick. Um, unfortunately, the first one, both of them were treated by incision and taking the, the bad bits out. The last one, he ended up on chemo. But it's important to know that it's, it is about the patient. At the end of the day, it's about the patient. And that's why my mantra is people first, people always. If I can help a company get that product to that patient, I've done my job. Right. Okay. That's great. And so from what, what you've told me, Lynn, so you, so you started in the industry yourself mm-hmm. and you became a consultant to the industry. So you've kind of spread your knowledge among a wider base, helping lots of different companies. And now you've entered the, the realm of bi- uh, biotech startups in, in effect, right? Yeah. So you've taken your knowledge, you've tried to distill it into a product so that you can help even more companies help even more patients. Is that exactly. kind of the, the game plan at this point? Exactly. Well, what we found was as we were helping our clients develop their product strategy, they would use unwieldy Excel sheets. And we were being asked all the time to use these Excel sheets. And that's a really poor use of a consultant who's who's launched products in their own right. It's a really poor use of time. So what, and we'd often ask to either use MS Project or Excel sheets, and then the, the information is disparate. It's on this person's computer and that person's computer. So what we did was I went to Rajiv with an idea and, and because I'd seen our clients struggling. So I went to Rajiv with an idea and said, hey, I'm bouncing this idea about what do you think? And we've kind of worked it through together to a full product now, because now not only can we help our clients, we coach, mentor them through the process of product launch. We then make their lives easier because we've got a tool to do it with them. Got it. And then so then people can get some benefit or some efficiencies without you necessarily having to be there. Oh, yes. The shoulder. Okay. Yeah, That's, they can yeah. use it on their own. Other, other agencies can use it as well. So they right. can use it on their own. But it's it's fine. We find it helps when we're doing the product launch to keep everybody on track and keep make sure everybody knows what's happening and that senior management have line of sight at all times as to what happened, what is happening. Right. Well, I, I certainly think in the, in the startup world, you know, the best tool is one that you built to solve your own problems, mm-hmm. right? Because nobody understands your problems better than you do yourself. And then once you've done that, then you can, you can, you know, proliferate it to other people in, in almost like a DIY kind of context. So that's interesting. But can you also talk a little bit about, but that, since you've done that, that's also an explores you to, I, I think, what is something of a new world for you, which is the, the startup world in general. So I know you've been entering competitions and looking for funding. So can you tell a little bit about sort of, you know- You read my mind, Victor, you read my mind. You've been doing this for a while, Rajiv. Right? <laughs> so can you talk a little bit about, so how do you break into that world? Uh, you know, you've got fabulous experience and connections in your world, but now it's a new and different world. Well, first of all, um, when I started my own company 10 years ago, I, it was the first time I'd used my MBA. Um, I just did it by- common sense, common sense principles and listening to advice from SBA and and score mentors and my, you know, CPA and stuff like that. But this is a totally different thing because it's a tech startup, like you say, and I had no clue what to do. 
And so, you know, Rajiv and I were talking and we thought about how we could get our product out there. It's always about getting out there and getting it in front of people. So I'm a member of Diversity Alliance for Science. So the first thing I did was applied for a pitch and we got through the eight that innovate and we were on stage at the DA4S conference in May this year. Wow, awesome. Um, and then we, I also um, participated in a women-owned business pitch. It was a WeBank-sponsored uh, pitch. Again, we got through to 10 for the region, um, and we were fourth, unfortunately. If we'd have been third, we'd have gone through to the next round. Oh. But, you know, you can't compete with somebody who's called Panic Panties, I'm afraid. Um, <laughs> oh God. Right. you can't show software we had to we had to do it as a verbal we couldn't right. show anything. so it was unfortunate because the software needs to be shown to be demonstrated but then so then Rajiv and I got the idea that that's a really good idea let's get on as many pictures as we can and pitch as much as we can because then we start getting noticed and then we might start getting funding because we funded the whole first edition ourselves right and it we already know that there's got to be a second step there always is with tech you, as soon as you've built it's, it, as soon as you've built the first one you know what you need to do for the next one so we're looking for startup funding to actually go to the next level and to scale this up we have a viable product we have a product that's working we have a product that people like we've demonstrated it and to get through at least two pictures already we must have pretty, something pretty solid. Right. Okay, that's great. And so, do you have any examples of? Oh, sorry, my neighbors are walking their dogs, and I think I, the, the dog wanted to be on the podcast. You scared him, Victor. Yes. You scared him. Yes. <laughs> Animals and children, right? So, so, given your experience, in, you know, the, your depth of experience in the industry, and so, you know, the relationships you built, did you? How much? How did that sort of translate? Either the the connections you'd made or the skills you developed in networking, right? As you said, you know, so when you started your own business, you had, you had a new set, new network. And now you're in the startup world, you have a new network. And so are the sort of common themes or lessons that our, our listeners can take away from this as to, because often people are afraid to start something new because they don't know anybody. Mm -hmm. Well, if you go back to our mantra, people first, per people always, and part of our three pillars is about people. I'm interested in people and I love talking to different people. You never know what can come from a conversation. Right. And so you can help them. They can help you. You can help each other. You never know. That's how Rajiv and I started. Yeah. We had a networking <laughs> event and we just found a common discussion point and just kind of kept in touch. Yeah, it was, I think it was a very, very interesting discussion point because we is in a sense bonded over the concept of spirituality. And it was like a very uh, almost esoteric uh, idea at the time that I think both of us were equally surprised that the other was even aware of this topic to begin with. And then you, you when we discovered each other, we were like, wait, you too? <laughs> and it was just this, well, wow. It's like I've, I've found my, my person now. And then, of course, it just like developed into this amazing, amazing friendship. But but yeah, in fact, why am I doing all the talk? In fact, Lid, why this is like it, it's it's your time to share the story from your lead. So please, it's it's okay. But that's the thing. It's like network isn't isn't just about 
what do you do? How do you do it? It's more about finding the connection with that person. I've always been a relationship type person. The reason I live in the US is because my client was Pfizer in New York and I lived on the south coast of England. That's a really long commute. (laughs) But because I believe in face-to-face with my client, um, I was over here every two weeks, backwards and forwards, backwards and forwards. Oh my God. And eventually my husband was like, and who are you when I got home? You know, do you live here? Um, And so we moved here because it's about relationships and it's about knowing those people. And one of the things that the, the back to the kind of the pillar of people, I certified as a mindset facilitator or performance coach, because during what we've all just been through, I could see my clients not only struggling with the fact that they were coming up to an imminent launch, their launch then got delayed and they were struggling with everything that everybody else was struggling. So I helped keep that launch team at a peak performance level and interact with one another because it was important to think about the person, not just about their process and what they were going through. And so I was interacting with them on a personal level, on a weekly basis, to keep them in that high level of, of performance. And that has led to some really good relationships. So back to sort of networking, it's about relationships. It's about building a relationship with somebody, getting them to know, like, and trust you so that if they see something that somebody might need, they know the right person to go to. And that's why I try to be, you know, put on my best face, my best game face, and just be authentic to the person and let them see who I am. And if they like me, then they'll that's a good connection and if i like then it's a good connection lynn uh i know this since we you know speak frequently air quotes frequently uh there's something that you mentioned uh in an earlier conversation unrelated to this about you have some best practices when it comes to either preparing for a meeting but also what you do after a meeting with a person be it a Zoom meeting or like a meeting in person, like in a conference room or something. Can you like share with our listeners a little bit about that? Because I found that, like you said earlier, it's kind of like common sense. But then again, as we know, common sense is least common. So like if you could please share, that would be great. It's always preparing, especially if you're meeting somebody for the first time. Now, if you're going to a mass networking thing, you can't necessarily prepare. But if you're going to meet somebody face to face, I always check their LinkedIn profile out. I always try and find out what they do in their role. And I also look at the company that they work for so that I've got something to talk to them about and that that I know a little bit about them. Um, Not only is it easier to recognize somebody when you've seen their picture, but it's also helpful when you've got something you can actually talk to them about and ask them questions. Because if you can just ask questions about people, it establishes a relationship much better. Now, I always try and then follow up with an email. It doesn't always work because, you know, we're back-to-back meetings and I try and follow up as quickly as possible. But I always do my research before I meet somebody. I always know as much as I can about that person. Those are those are great suggestions, Lynn. And I think one of the things I think that Rajiv and I learned over the six months we've been doing this, right, is that there's, there's tremendously powerful networking suggestions that, you know, folks like experienced networkers like yourself have, have offered that have two things. Like, number one, they're, they're tremendously impactful 
And secondly, they're, if you don't mind me saying, they're ridiculously simple, right? You know, yeah. you don't need an MBA to look up somebody on LinkedIn or look at their company or to send them an email afterwards. It just takes common sense, which actually I don't really like that phrase because I find that common sense, as they say, it's not very common. So, so I think that I think those are those are great tips that essentially anybody can use and everybody should use. Mm -hmm. And I've, I've noticed when like in meetings where you mentioned, oh, I saw that you did X, right? And you mm -hmm. sort of see their faces light up. Yeah. Right. So I think I think that's very smart of you, and especially you know if you're moving into a new field. So do you want to talk a little bit about? So on the one hand, you have this app, right? Which I think is it's, it's bits and bytes and pixels and all that kind of stuff that sits on your phone. But now you're also developing a coaching practice which is really, you know, the complete opposite because now you're dealing with people as individuals. Yeah. So I never ever thought I would be a coach. It wasn't on my radar. Um, but at 2020, I was at an event um, because the, so I had a, I have a coach and mentor and they helped me. Right. And, and when something happened in my business, they helped me come out of it. So I've been there. As a professional woman, I've been in that situation and, and I saw how much they helped. And at 2020, I was at probably one of the last meetings that was able to be held. And I just felt a calling that I had to take this certification. Because often when we're, co when we're working with our clients anyway, we kind of become their coaches as well at the yeah. same time. Yeah. Because they'll come to us with challenges. They'll come to us with sometimes, you know, interpersonal challenges that they just need help with. But I certified and then I've just recertified because I think sometimes, especially women, and my target is really sort of 40 to 65 women in a corporate environment who get derailed by something that happens. And I'll give you an example. That email that from your boss that says, can we have a chat tomorrow? Uh-oh, sounds ominous. Exactly. What a feeling goes into your head. What, do I, what did I do? Why do I need to do something? What, what, did, what didn't I do? Or when somebody CCs your boss in a oh. Yes. And it can really derail people. Now, especially women, because we sometimes have this whole imposter syndrome. I don't know quite why, but we do. Um, and so what I want to help, help the professional women is to stop that from happening because it's, you're often down to a limiting belief that started when they were very young. Somebody said to me, and I'll give you an example. My teacher, when I was at school, said I would never amount to anything in biology. I would barely scrape the exam. That's terrible. I can still remember that still rings in my ears, but I went the opposite way. And now biology is my field and I've excelled at it. But for other people, that incident could have caused them harm. I mean, you're talking about networking. When you're a child, you're networking with mm. other kids. If a kid dismisses you, that can really damage your uh, self-esteem. Right. You don't know why they've dismissed you. They may have just had a stomachache and they've turned away. Or, <laughs> you know, but you don't know. Right. The story in your head, the meaning you give it at that point lives with you. And it only takes somebody to turn their back on you and you immediately go back to that point. Well, that's interesting, right? So it's like you get this flashback and so it, it, it sort of magnifies the impact in a bad way. 
exactly it's yeah. the triggers and so what we try and help people do is find out what's triggering them right so in a work situation it could have been that their previous boss every time they said a particular word it was really bad news uh -uh, got it so if somebody else uses that word exactly have the same reaction. That's, lynn this is great and i hate to do this unfortunately i i do have to jump i don't want to rush this thing to a close so if it's okay with the two of you i'm going to bow out and I'll, I'll let the two of you continue and lynn you know we'd love to catch up with you at, at some point soon okay Perfect. Nice to see you again, Victor. Thanks, Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, see you around, Victor. I see you guys later. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. See, see you, Victor. Bye. Great. For sure. For sure. Yeah. So, um, Lynn, uh, so uh, thank you for that. Uh, as far as, you know, like uh, sharing uh, about your approach, the people first approach. In fact, could you share with our listeners as to how you came up with that people first approach? And I mean, you have explained, uh, you know, why you are hugely, hugely a people person, you actually love people, you care for people deeply, but where did it all come from? Uh, it's always been in me. Um, in terms of we go back to childhood, I've always cared for other people. Um, my mom was a nurse. Um, and I was actually going to be a nurse at one point, but I just have this innate care for other people. Um, and I think the human first, um, the example today when the guy, had his, his car was smashed by a tree, nobody was stopping to help him. So I, I stopped and I said, do you need help? Because I could see him struggling with the two dogs, right? Um, and he said, yes, please. He was a young guy, 25. Now, yes, I had people, places to go, I had things to do, but that's a young person on the side of the road, I think he was about 25, young person on the side of the road, kind of like, I don't know what to do. He's got two dogs that are struggling because they were both um, uh, rescue pups. But the human in you, in all of us should say, I'm gonna help that person. It doesn't matter what I've got to do. Mm. It's about helping that person. We've lost a lot of that and it's about helping other people because we're all human and we all might need that at some point, but just to help somebody, um, you know, whatever I did to help him till waiting with him till the police came, you know, helping calm the dogs down. I'm not a dog person, but you've got to try and help people. And it's about, again, the reason I'm in the industry is to help patients at the end of the day. I don't, it just has been, we've always been taught to be kind to animals, kind to other people. I guess it's my upbringing, just be kind. Interesting, interesting. And uh, Lynn, uh, so you've, uh, you've shared uh, with our listeners about uh, your background in, uh, in biology and then a, a pharmaceutical industry, then the Lily Launch Tools uh, tool that we you know, co-created. Uh, you've also talked about mindset coaching uh, and I think now that's probably a great segue to talk about the uh, uh, the coaching initiative that you and I uh, developed. Like, if you could maybe uh, share with our listeners what it's called and also why it was created to begin with. So we created Mindset Business Influence MBI for the same reason, because we both care about people. And it was the mindset is the most important thing to success. All the successful people have the right mindset and something happening to derail your mindset can derail your day, 
if you ever got up and had something's happened, you've stubbed your toe and something's happened, you've like the whole day's just gone downhill. So it can derail your whole day. It can derail your whole life, even if you're not, if you don't take care of it. And then the business side, of course, is I've been in business a long time like you have, and it's helping other entrepreneurs or helping other companies to, to really go forward and excel, but from a salad point, point of view of, of mindset and then the business. And then the influence side is just what we're talking about, networking. How do you talk to people and how do you be interested in people so that they'll be interested in you? And then you can find potentially find a common ground that you can work together either to produce something together like we did or to work to promote each other, whatever that looks like, because a hand up is always helpful. And if you can help somebody up like a small business, if, if you're a, you've got a smaller business trying to help you and you can give them a help up, that's that's good. We're all about helping one another to progress because that's how bigger companies are made if we can all, all help one another. So Mindset Business Influence was a three-day event that we really need to get back up and running uh, because there's <laughs> definitely a need for now. Right, right. And uh, I guess just to add to that, you know, for our listeners' benefit, since uh, <clears throat> I am a Lynn's partner in crime with MBI as well, uh, and just to share about it, so MBI is essentially a, uh, it's an immersive experience that helps people understand the intersection point of mindset, business, and influence, because where mindset, business, and influence converge at is the point where many people want to be at, and more importantly, from that point, then progress further uh, to help them uh, keep or maintain their elevated performance status. Because I think many of the people that we were reaching out to were C-suite. In, uh, and I think based on the survey that we did, which took us a year to do, but I think the insights were really valuable where uh, what we found is that the uh, uh, whether it's a $5 million company or a $5 billion company, the concerns and the challenges and the constraints of leaders tend to be the same, which I was, I was surprised, but I guess I wasn't surprised because on the because you think that, oh my God, it's a $65 billion company. Wouldn't the needs be completely different in the C-suite there compared to a $10 million company? Uh, and maybe maybe they, they are, but I think at its core, like, like you said, Lynn, previously, it's all about the people. And I guess people are people. And I think what we found was the biggest concern was about work-life balance and managing overwhelm. Mm -hmm. uh, and... Yeah, so uh, I mean, Lynn, if if maybe you could share with our listeners about maybe what's next with MBI, because you know version one was rolled out and version two is forthcoming. Maybe you could <laughs> share with people as to what what version two is going to look like, and you know maybe who it's intended for. I think we've learned a lot from version one and over time since then. Um, and I really do think it is for the C-suite, as you said, for the five billion to the twenty to the sixty-five billion or whatever it was. Um, and I think the focus really is, especially now, with the, all the talks of recession and all the talks of—I mean, they're talking themselves into a recession uh, deliberately. <laughs> but with all those talks of recession, <clears throat> people are starting to panic, and so you'll start seeing things like 
you know, headcount go down. Well, that's going to start putting pressure on people again. And so I really think this is a good point to work with companies to make sure that at this point they don't spiral and that they just continue to grow. I'd like to use the thrive word, but everybody's using that. So I'm just going to say we're going to grow and scale and succeed. Um, and so I think we need to try and do something before the end of this year. <laughs> uh, I don't know about that, Liz, because I think we kind of have our hands full with Lily Launch Tools. And I think we have like a lot of very exciting things happening there too. But but anyway, I uh, I'm, I digress, but uh, but yeah, I mean, Lynn, this has been like an absolute fantastic conversation. As they say, you can't eat uh, an elephant in a single sitting. And we would absolutely love to have you join us on this uh, podcast again to have another conversation and, and just maybe to dissect one of the many things that you've shared with us in greater detail. So, Perfect. thank you. <laughs> yeah, so, Lynn, thanks again for your time and we'll see you on the next one. Yeah, thank you. Bye. Bye. Please send us your comments and questions about networking by posting them in the comments below. Or for a quick response, email us at dintlearn at harvard at gmail.com. Please like, comment, and subscribe. It means the world to us. Try today's networking nugget and tell us whether it worked or if you hate it or if you'd like us to brainstorm a solution for you. No charge. That's our way of saying thank you for supporting us by listening and sharing our content with people you care about. That's all this week from Rajiv and Victor. Thanks for listening to Things I Didn't Learn at Harvard. Hopefully, you learned something here today.